This is the Workin' With series, presented by your host, Hayley Sudbury. Listen in each month to find out who we're working with. Hayley sits down with some of the world's most exciting leaders and entrepreneurs to chat about the companies they love, their definition of success, and the real secret behind it all, their superpower. So I'm with Adam Hale this morning from Fairsale fame and I recently met through a mutual friend who only had very good things to say about him. So I'm delighted to have you in this morning. Hey, hey Hayley. He's, he's a liar, by the way. <laughs> Adam is, is most known recently for taking Fairsale from a, a sub one million revenue company and over four years getting it to 10 million in revenue and a sale to Sage People for 110 million. So I think you're probably having quite a good time at the moment, given you have, uh, you've completed your own out. So I really want to get Adam in to sort of hear what his journey's been like and kind of why he made the decisions he made and how he made Fair Sale the success it has been. So uh, thank you, Adam. Pleasure. Um, why don't you tell us first how you ended up in the role as CEO of Fair Sale? Well, that's an interesting and, uh, and quite long story. But I've been in technology my whole life. I actually grew up in Birmingham and Stockport and just started, um, discovered computers, just started programming when I was a teenager. Then realized you could actually study this at university. And I just thought, well, why not? So I did a computer science degree. Then I spent uh, 10 years in, uh, in Accenture. And then I was a headhunter. So I ran the software practice for a big global search firm. So my story at Fairsell is one of demotions, really. Um, I was asked to come on the board as a non-executive when the business had eight people. Fairsell, or Sage People now, does cloud HR and people software. And so I was asked to come on the board because one of the investors said, well, Adam, you're a headhunter. You understand HR and people and all that stuff, right? It's like, well, yeah, I hope so. I said, well, come on the board and tell us if you think it could be a thing or not. Uh, And at that point, it was eight people, end of 2012, actually did about £400,000 that year. So came on the board and thought, a really interesting business. Then uh, after I'd uh, left Russell Reynolds, after a brief 16 years, was then asked to join as as the exec chairman initially. So my first demotion, board to exec chairman, (laughs) to really lead the scale up. And, and so I came into it to, to do that great founder. And so I batched there were 13 people there at that point. We were on, on the way to doing a million pounds. And then I was quickly demoted again to be CEO after a few months. And then, you know, we took it through, built the business from 13 people to about 130 at the time of acquisition. Uh, last year, 2017, uh, and is now well over 200 people uh, and a huge global business unit. And then leading to my third demotion after uh, acquisition, where I became EVP of Sage People within Sage. And then I I left beginning of October last year. Wow. And so tell me, you got into the role as CEO, which is obviously a a hands-on role. You've got 13 people. What's the first thing you do? Well, it's really, I, I so remember the 1st of October 2013, walking into the office in, in Reading. We're out in, uh, out in Reading. And uh, eight o'clock on a Monday morning, there was nobody there. And there was a snooker table in the middle of the office thinking, what is this? And we go, oh, well, we got 13, but nobody wants to join. And I just thought, you know, so what I did actually after a month is I did a presentation to the board that I called the end of the beginning. 
And at that point, it really was about the switch from being kind of an interesting startup to being the beginning of scale-up. And we focused on, on really four things. Uh, we focused on having a really clear purpose of, uh, of what we did, the, the transformation that we helped in companies, and also kind of who we worked with. We focused on customer success and really making our customers successful. Uh, we focused on great innovation. We always had a, a development engineering team in Reading, although at that point it was literally two people that actually went down to one after a couple of months. So then we built it up, literally the engineering team from one to 50. Uh, and then the third thing was about the team, just about having fabulous people, because I do believe that great companies are made up of great people. So we, we focused on just building what I think is an absolutely fabulous team. And what was your purpose at that point? What, what were the actual words that you used to describe the company in 2013? So at that point, it was an HR system built on Salesforce. So that was a core purpose of it, and that's what it always was, and that was great. What it then became over time was we made this analogy between, you know, people like me <coughs> will remember personnel back in the day, right? So, so there was this thing called personnel that then changed to be HR back in the 1990s. And then the way we articulated it is we said, actually, that's going through an equivalent magnitude of change now from being HR to being people. So we talked about helping our organizations become people companies. Because if you read the annual report, it doesn't say the most valuable asset is the building or the customers. It says the people. But yet, many organizations now still inherently manage their people on spreadsheets. They don't know who they are, who they, they don't know how, who's joining, what they're doing, what value they're adding. And in a global skills crisis, that just doesn't work. And so what we did was we framed that articulation about the transformation to become a people company. And the other thing was to focus on mid-sized businesses. So great companies of a couple of hundred to 5,000 people. Uh, really focus because I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of focus and I'd, I'd much rather do one thing well than three things okay and to succeed in a global world you need to be the best third or fourth is is just nowhere near good enough so I also think one of the, the greatest things I know about you and it's not because I heard you sort of share it yesterday it's also because I heard Steve Kelly talking about it as kind of a big claim to fame it's the the fact that Sage People now has a 50-50 gender balance yeah to it. yeah it does now is that just in the development team or it, across it's, it's across the board it's a 44% strictly speaking but but 50 is absolutely close enough um and, and that's something, I mean, you know, as a, as a dad of, of two daughters, something that's really important to me, it, it wasn't something that, you know, just kind of automatically happens. And, and actually, when you look at engineering, it's really driven by individual situations that happened. Early on in 2014, when the development team was like three, we hired a lady called Caroline who joined and then kind of when Caroline was there, then it's easier for Kasha to join and Prerna to join and Wendy to join. Actually, now it's run by Wendy, that development team. But the more people that were there that were women kind of made it more OK for new ones to join. And so kind of go back, you know, if we hadn't hired a couple of those people, then it might not have worked out that way. But it was just brilliant that it did. And having that diversity, not just gender diversity, but nationality diversity 
age diversity, you know, and 50s are the new 30s, which we all know anyway. I'm on board with that. Yes, yeah, so, so on board with that. It makes we're, me about 10. None of our pensions are worth anything. We're all going to live till we're 100. So, you know, so, and so all, diversity in all of its forms was really, really, really important to us and certainly part of our success because we were serving a global audience. And also in the HR people area, that's actually quite nice. That's quite a gender balanced function as well. So yeah, r- really proud of the uh, of the forty four percent. And it's really fantastic. Um, just just one thing, honestly, that I as a proud Brit, I'm terrified by what's happening with technology education in schools, particularly. So last year, 2017, 50,000 girls did maths A level. Great, fantastic. Computing A level, 816 girls. The lowest number of any. A-level subject. Repeat, any A-level subject. You know, it's really tough to beat the industry up for diversity when you have 816 girls doing A-level computing. What what do you think we can do about that? The first thing we have to do is recognise the scale of the issue. Because until you recognise it, you can't start fixing it. And honestly, I don't think it is recognised that the situation is that serious. So first thing we have to do is recognise it and then form a joint plan of the education, we're lucky we have a brilliant education sector in this country, education and industry and people to come together to do it. I think we need some more innovative solutions. I mean, if if it's hard for a scale-up to recruit a programmer, imagine how hard it is to recruit a good computer science teacher. I've talked to heads. It's almost impossible. And it's not going to get any easier anytime soon. So what we can't do is just kind of this old model, we'll just hire more computer science teachers. That's not a thing. Because they don't exist. They don't exist. And they're not going to exist anytime soon. So we need to have some more creative approaches to it. It's almost like it needs to be part of the teaching curriculum. You learn a component of computer science, which you can pass on in a particular way. It, it might well like be that. A lighter touch. It could be. And I think this whole thing about flipping the classroom and doing different things in school that you do out of school and get industry, all kinds of... And it, I don't think we can jump into the how until we're all actually agreed on the what. And that means the UK government agreeing that this is a major, major issue that they want to have a concerted programme around. If they do, I'd be delighted to be part of it. So is there a career in politics maybe for you at some point? Or I, just lobbying? I don't know. I'm a, I'm a tech guy. I will always be a tech guy. Uh, whatever I do will be kind of in and around technology. But I've always lived here. I think I'm going to go on living here. I'd love to understand a little bit more about the culture you created. So maybe you could kind of share with me what fair sale was like. If I yeah. walked in, what would I notice about the things that you did and how different they were to maybe other companies? Well, culture is a fascinating one. The first thing I would say is it's not a culture that I created, right? So, so I, I was clearly part of it. But I actually went through a really interesting experience last year that I've never been through before in that the business had values but nobody knew what they were and they were somewhere in a document and, oh, I don't know, I have to go look it up. So basically pointless, basically pointless. So what we decided to do was to actually get the organisation to help state what the values were as a team. And that meant 130 people in a room for an afternoon, externally facilitated, trying to figure out and articulate what the values were. Great exercise. And it boiled down to the, to the values being four words. 
And I guarantee you every single person could say these four words, right? Because those four words are pathfinder, impact, with heart. So pathfinder, going somewhere different, discovery, new, innovative. Impact, you know, making a difference to our customers, to our people, to our partners. With, who has with as a value, honestly, right? was originally collaboration. I was like, oh God, that's so boring. Everybody says collaboration. And 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 Chris, Chief Customer, he said, you said, we, we said, what about with? We do things with people, not to, but I was like, brilliant. We have to do with. So let's do with. I love it. With, because that's what we did. And then heart. We cared about stuff, right? We really did. Internally, externally, it wasn't just a job or a thing. We, we cared about it. So to me, those four words... You know, if I'm those four words every day, then that's a that's a good day, right? So, so that to me was what the culture was. But the really powerful thing was, it was everybody that came up with it. Fantastic! I love it. It's such a fresh take on some words that have been used in the past that just don't feel current. Yeah, but impact. Impact to me has always been a good word. Yeah, strong. Because you remember things. Immediately made a difference. Somebody took a note. They're going to go away and do something. And I just think the with thing is, is just brilliant. It's just funny too. It's a bit of a, just, you know, but there's definitely a sense of humour in, in, in the company. Definitely a sense of humour. can't take yourself too seriously. For sure not. Life's too short. It is. I agree. Well, if I asked your team, though, what you were like to work with, what would they tell me? And they're telling me probably in the pub, so they're a bit more relaxed <laughs> and they're being honest. Oh, uh, what would they tell you? Actually, one of the things that that uh, that happened when I left, which did make me cry, I have to say, was because we're an HR system, it, it captures performance and it has a, a mechanism where you capture what we call recognition about people. Uh, and actually something the team did that uh, the, 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 the Kirsty, my, my EA, organised was um, they used the system and it was all hidden from me because I used to read them out every monthly meeting, like I'd pick out the good recognitions and read them out. And basically, pretty much everybody put a recognition on me against Pathfinder Impact with Heart and how they would describe me and kind of told some told some stories. And that was extraordinary, actually. You know, I've got that book. I've got it proudly at, at home. And, you know, if I'm in a, if I've had a bad day, then it's a good thing to kind of put me up. And, uh, and, and just, you know... Can you share a specific, maybe a couple of sound bites? I, I think what, what people said was that I brought clarity to the organisation. Uh, I've never been the cleverest guy where I've, where I've been, but I've, I've always tried to be a clear thinker uh, and to really kind of have that purpose and that, and that vision and get that across so we're all on it. I do have a reasonable amount of energy and uh, an enthusiasm and, and passion, uh, and that did come out. I, I'm just, I've been like that since I was born, apparently, my parents tell me what my dad tells me now so I'm just like that's just how I how I am in in everything that I that I do and I I care about getting stuff right so tell me when things get tough and I'm sure there were some tough times who do you pick up the phone to so and yeah there were tough times and you know I can tell the fair sale story has been this amazing fantastic success but you know what I remember is how hard it was you know all the customer situations all the people situations or the financing and you know everything 
I said this on my, on my leaving do, my wife, Jules, she had all of those kind of difficult conversations when I go home and I've had a bad day. She's like, oh, yeah, go on, tell me. And, you know, we've been married for a long time. And, and so she was the one. Because actually, and what people tell you, it is quite a lonely job being CEO because you can't talk to your team about a number of things and you can't talk to the board about a number of things. So talk to Jules a lot. Nick, the uh, CFO, it was just the most unbelievable business partner to me. So Nick, Nick, I don't know how many times Nick and I spoke over the years, but uh, I, I'd say a lot. Obviously, you know, Steve, the chairman of the board, were really supportive. But yeah, no, it's uh, and, and other other CEOs. You know, you, you build a relationship with other people where you know you can kind of text each other and WhatsApp each other and say, you know, because you know what it's like. So, what would you say your superpower is? Um, you know, one of the things that I love to do is I love to encapsulate complex ideas in simple situations. So I'd say I had a bunch of phrases that I use that actually are much more than sound bites because they mean something really important. I, I said one at the event yesterday, which is which I saw on a slide in I think 1989. On an overhead projector. And it was an overhead projector, literally an overhead. <laughs> And it was, you don't fatten a pig by weighing it. And it's not like I don't love KPIs and metrics, right? But you do, farmers are smart, right? You've got to, you've got to feed the pig, you've got to exercise, you've got to keep it healthy, etc. Another one I would say is, uh, it's never too late to do the right thing. Because it is never too late to do, to do the right thing. It's certainly not a superpower. But I am known for that. Uh, but really trying to have a purpose behind all of them. Because you can learn lessons in life. So that's kind of one of the things. And I love doing that. I love kind of having these mechanisms, again, to try and have impact and to try and make people, you know, and help them kind of realise the importance and the implications of doing certain things. So a simple phrase for the moment. Yep. And trying to have that 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 clarity and that that simplicity. I'm, I'm a lad from Birmingham, right? So uh, that's that's me. Perfect. So lastly... What would be, say, the top three bits of advice you'd give to founders or founding CEOs or new CEOs in a similar position starting something? What would be your top tips for them? Yeah, well, I'm not in a position to give founders advice because I've never done mm-hmm. that. Okay, so Colin was a first self founder, all credit to all credit to him. Um, what I would say to people kind of leading the scale up, which was what I did, was really focus on four things. First one is just have a real purpose for what the organization does. As my girls would say, what is it for? Right? What does it do? And by the way, being worth loads of money and being fast growth is not what it's for. Right? So have a real clarity of purpose in what it does, what it achieves and who you're working with. Second thing is focus on customer success. I mean, real customer success. We had 99% license renewals. That was a key part of our success, but it wasn't always that way. Uh, We had an amazing guy called Chris, chief customer officer, who just built an extraordinary team and capability there. So purpose, customer success. Third one is innovation and product. You can never rest on your laurels. You just have to keep building that and just, just keep thinking, developing, expanding just all the time. Uh, and look at what that team were able to do. It was just just extraordinary. And then the last one is team. As Jim Collins said in Good to Great, first who, then what? 
right? And people say it differently. I think that's just a brilliant phrase. First who, then what? So get the right people on the bus and the wrong people off the bus. I interviewed every person we hired, literally every person we hired. I cleared out my filing cabinet at the end because I'd done like 400 interviews. But it was written, it was a privilege to me to be able to do that. It meant I got to know everybody that was joining and I got to keep the quality bar really high because people knew that I was in the process and I, you know, I've done a lot of interviewing. But it was really important and, and, and actually just a privilege to kind of get to know people and to understand them. So those four things. So purpose, customer success, innovation and team. I think if you do those four things, you won't go far wrong. Well, thank you, Adam Hale. It's been a pleasure to get to know you a little bit better and hear more of your story. I'm sure there's lots of value that people will take from this conversation. Although for me, what will always stay with me is you don't fatten the pig by weighing it. That is absolutely true. Thank you, Hayley. You've been listening to the Workin' With podcast series. You can find us on iTunes and at workinwith.com. That's W-E-R-K-I-N with dot com. Mm-hmm.